The following sermon is brought to you by New Covenant Community Church, a Bible-based church located on Route 62 east of Johnstown, Ohio. To learn about New Covenant Community Church, visit www.new-covenant.org. Again, that is new-covenant.org. Now, enjoy the message. I want to welcome you all to the house of God. I pray that you will find our Lord to be as awesome as we have found him, as forgiving and loving as we have found him to be, and as full of mercy as we have indeed found him to be. You can be turning your Bibles, if you would please, to Romans chapter 7 and chapter 13. You do have a moment to get there as we all turn our Bibles to Romans chapter 7 and chapter 13. You can bookmark both of those places. As you're turning there, and before I, we really get into the meat and potatoes of preaching today, uh, there is something that I do want to say that I believe is very important that I say it. It is obviously no surprise that last week was a strong message or whatever other word you'd like to use for it. Um, it's vitally important, not just with regards to last week, but any time that the preacher opens his mouth, it's important to make a distinction. And the distinction has to do with the preacher and the one who is being preached about. I recognize that in my upbringing of being raised around livestock and spending a lot of time around rodeos that it nece doesn't necessarily foster the most tender of personalities. And my wife will attest to that. And I pray um, that my children cannot attest to that. I'm just like all of us have things that we continually need to make sure are submitted to the will of God. And, uh, and I recognize those things. Uh, but the distinction, however, that needs to be made is if there's something that is said from the preacher that rubs you the wrong way, it's vitally important to your growth as a Christian. As a child of God, it's vitally important that you make the distinction between was it the pastor, was it the preacher, or was it the one who is being preached about that made you feel that way? Uh, because if, if people come face to face with the nature of God and his word, and those in and of themselves are the things that would rub someone the wrong way, I can live with that. Um, we just need to get used to that. That's going to be the world that we're in. Uh, people will find the gospel offensive. People will find the true, unbridled nature of God offensive. They'll find the things that he has said to be offensive. So if, if you fall in that camp, I can, I can live with that. I'm all right with that. I should not, could not, and will not apologize for the nature of God or the things that he has said. And that's where the distinction must be made because if there is then something that is the personality of the preacher that comes forth or the way that his personality is expressed through communication based on his personality... Should there be anything about me or the way that I would talk or even, for that matter, the way I would dress 
that would serve as a stumbling block between where you are in your walk with Christ and seeing the true nature of God in His Word, then certainly that is something that I am incredibly apologetic for. I, I fear God way too much to stand in between where people are in their walk and growing in that. So if there is something of my personality or the way that my communication has manifested itself from that, then know that I am deeply sorry and that I'm probably more upset with my personality than you are. So let me buy a coffee and we can sit together and talk about how much we hate me. So because, and I, I mean, I appreciate the laughter, but um, I like me least of all. And when my wife knows that some of the ways that my personality come out in communication that can be overly assertive. Uh, it is my prayer, it is my intention that my children don't report the same. So, with that being said, let us pray and then we will dive into the Word of God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we love you. We love your Word. We're here to magnify you. We are here to see that your name is lifted high, not just in this place, but every place. Jesus, thank you for the redemption that was purchased with the payment of your life's blood. None of us could have done that. So we, we are here together humbled, at the fact that you would draw us by your Holy Spirit and draw us into this redemption, this forgiveness, this grace that is a free gift that is offered. What a joy. And what a strong reality that supersedes all the things that we see going around us. We love you in Jesus' name and all the church says. So for the month of September... We have been preaching and will continue to preach through the core values of this church. The first of one being, and we can move to that first slide, gentlemen, or ladies. I don't know who is all up there. I can't really see today. New Covenant Community Church exists to praise Jesus through worship and the Word. Say all that with me. New Covenant Community Church exists to praise Jesus through worship and the Word. Jesus is the focal word in that statement and come what may we're going to worship him in spirit and in truth we're going to see that his word is the center point of our all of our gathering our guidance our meeting and we're going to worship Jesus next slide if we would please new covenant community church exists too. say it with me proclaim the gospel to our neighbors and the nations not just the person next door but the person in the next country in the next nation this gospel is what we are going to preach. And then finally, we exist as a church to practice holiness through New Testament orders and ordinances, which is what we'll be preaching today. Now, we have referenced some of these core values like chains. If a tree falls down across the road, the tree is not where it belongs. The tree belongs standing up and not in the way of the road. And if you take a chain, you can attach one end of the tree and the other end to a tractor or a truck or something and pull that tree back into the woods where it belongs. And similarly, we've said that these core values are much like that, that if we were ever to fall out of place, 
in our message, in our teaching, in our fellowship, should there be anything about us as a fellowship of believers that were to fall out of line, that this good loving chain of these core values would bring us back into the proper place. Similarly, if you go into certain countries, certain areas of the world where there are along coastlines, they will take chains to, to chain a house to its foundation so that hurricanes and tropical storms cannot blow it off the foundation. And much in the same way, we've likened these core values to a chain that holds us in place. That we could be going through all kinds of storms and all the things that we move forward through together as a church and our families, individuals, for you single folks, all the things that we could go through that these core values as a church together could hold us fast where we ought to stay. So what is it that God's word says about holiness, this practicing holiness through New Testament orders and ordinances? It's vitally important that you take note that there are predominantly, as we see in Scripture, two different kinds of holiness that we really need to see the clarity between the two. The first kind of holiness is what we'll be preaching about today, and it's simply what you could call a practicing holiness. The holiness that as a believer that we are striving to. Now that's what we'll be preaching about, but what's important to remember about this practicing kind of holiness is that it is not salvific meaning that it does not have to do with salvation. There is no amount of practicing this holiness that could somehow justify you before God. That is not what this practicing holiness is about at all. You could devote your life, you could devote everyone else's life around you to do this practicing holiness that we will be talking about. And you could achieve great levels of it, but it would do nothing before you're standing before God. Hebrews 12, 14 talks about the other kind of holiness. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. When God sees people in their sinful state, he sees their sin. And what we need is to repent, to turn to Christ, to be forgiven of our sin, to be covered and cloaked and clothed in the righteousness that only perfect Jesus has so that when God sees us, he sees this perfect righteousness this perfect holiness that has been purchased for us it's not that of our own it's that of another and his name is Jesus so I hope you see the difference between those two kinds of holiness one we would call the gospel the other that we'll be talking about today this practicing holiness what is it that God's word says about it and Leviticus 11 verse 44 Part A, it says, For I am the Lord your God, you shall therefore consecrate yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. Leviticus 11, verse 45, For I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God, you shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Leviticus 19, 2, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Leviticus 20, verse 11, Consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy, for I am the Lord your God, and you shall keep my statutes and perform them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Now we see this exact same teaching carried over into the New Testament as well. 1 Peter 1, verses 13 through 16. Therefore, the word of God says, Gird up your loin, the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, 
You also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. So we see that God calls us to this holiness that he possesses. The question then becomes, to what degree then is God holy? Uh, We see that this was foretold hundreds of years before the time of Christ, the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53, 9, as he is prophesying of the grave situation that the Son of God would experience and says, and they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was there deceit in his mouth. We see this also carried forward in the New Testament. First John 3, 5. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. First Peter 2, verse 2. When it's talking again about Christ, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. 1 Corinthians 5.21, a scripture that we should be well familiar with. For he made him who knew no sin to be the sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God made him who knew no sin. So we see clearly from the word of God that God calls us to this holiness that he possesses. And that the holiness he possesses is perfect. It is moral perfection. So if you say, okay, God calls us to be holy like him, and the level at which he is holy is moral perfection, then Houston, we have a problem, okay? Because we are not like that. We are very, very different, even in our redeemed, sin-forgiven, names written in the Lamb's Book of Life place. We are not like God in that way. We have a very, very big problem with this command. And if you look in Romans 7, look to verse 16, it gives us some details of this problem that you and I have. Remembering that God used Paul through which God wrote the book of Romans, it says, if then, verse 16, if then I do what I will or desire, and I hope you've got a Bible in front of you because I'm paraphrasing things inside of this to help us see it. If then I do what I will to not to do or desire not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present, or for to desire the, to do good things is present in me, Paul says. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, the good that I I want to do, Paul says, I do not do. But the evil that I will not to do, the things that I am bent on not doing, Paul says, the evil things that this heart doesn't want to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will Not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. And remember, this is Paul, saved, redeemed, sins forgiven, Apostle Paul, that's saying, there is a will, there is a desire in me to do what is right, but I can't find it in myself to do those things that my heart wants to do. In fact, I end up doing the things that I know I don't want to do. So, if we believe that Jesus is holy, which he is, And he calls us to be holy like him, which he does. And we know from the word of God that we will not achieve this perfect, moral, holy perfection, which is what his word teaches. 
The question then becomes, in what manner are we to strive after this kind of practicing holiness as believers? Which at this point, we can now turn to Romans 13. We should have that place bookmarked already. And once we're in Romans 13, you can look to verse 11. We will give verses 11 through 14 a read through. And we will seek to be fed of God's word today. Verse 11 of Romans 13 And do this knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent and the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Now, the Word of God obviously gives us some instruction about how to practice this kind of holiness. But before it ever gets to the instruction, it first gives us some of the motivations as to why. Why is it that we should practice this kind of holiness and kind of in what way? And what becomes very clear is it's time. There is a timeliness of this. We are to do some of these things like cast off the works of darkness and to put on the Lord Jesus Christ to clothe ourselves with the armor of light. We need to do those things, but we need to do it knowing that it is high time to awake from sleep. It's high time for us to think that we can pretend and play church. It's high time for us to remember that church is not about the place where we come to feel good. It's where we come to be fed. It's where we come to be this united effort of God's people together proclaiming the gospel. There, there is a high time. The day is, the night is far spent and the day is at hand. There is something of timeliness of this. Uh, and we see clearly that Paul thought that just perhaps Jesus, this salvation that it mentions, this salvation is nearer than when we first believed. It's important that you know that there it's referencing the return of Christ. Be it someone's salvation that has come into full fruition of when their body dies and they go to heaven, or when Jesus comes back to redeem the church and take them off of the earth. He's referencing this as the salvation that he talks about. Our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. From when we first became believers, this salvation, the thing that all of us today, every single one of us, are marching towards, be it our earthly body dying or Jesus returning for us, that day is nearer than when we first believed. And people say, well, was it right for Paul to think that Jesus could come back in his lifetime when we know that Paul was wrong? To which I would say, no, I don't think he was wrong in that at all. He was very right in noting that the salvation, the thing that we're marching towards, it is nearer right now than ever before. It's nearer right now than when we first became a Christian. It's nearer right now than when we first believed the gospel. The same was true for those who suffered during the Holocaust. They believed, and I believe rightly so, they saw the things going on around them. They thought that for sure that their Lord was going to come and rescue them out of the place in which they were and the bondage that they were suffering under the Nazis in Germany. They thought for sure that Jesus was going to come back even very soon. Were they wrong to think those things? No, because their salvation was nearer then than when they first believed. There is some timeliness of this. There's only so much time to do this kind of practicing holiness, to strive after this holiness that God has called us to strive after. 
Did it occur to you today that the sleep that we all just awoke from a few hours ago was one less sleep that we will ever experience on earth? That the breakfast that we all ate just a couple hours ago was one less breakfast that we will have on this earth, in this place, be it our earthly bodies dying or Jesus coming for us, for those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That this church service is one less church service that we will ever experience together in this earthly atmosphere. There is a timeliness. If we are going to chain ourselves with a loving chain as a church to practice this holiness through New Testament orders and ordinances, there's only so much time. There's only so much time to preach the gospel to your neighbors. There's almost only so much time to grow as a believer, to get into the Word of God and to worship Him, not just at church when everyone else is around you singing, but you singing praises to your Lord at home, alone, in the car, with your family. There's only so much time to do those kinds of things. So if Jesus is holy, which He is, and He calls us to be holy like Him, which He does, and we know that we will not achieve this moral, holy perfection that only Christ has, that only God has, which is what His Word teaches, then what manner are we to supposed to strive after this kind of holiness, this practicing holiness? First, we can say that we know it's now. We know that today is the time to do it, right now, beginning immediately. Because we don't know when Christ will come back. We don't know when these earthly bodies will die. We're nearer to our salvation today than we have ever been before. What about how to do it? We know some things about the manner in which and the intensity of time that we need to understand. But, but how is it that we're supposed to practice some of these things? Look to verse 12, if you would, please. Verse part B of verse 12 there. Part B where it explains to us some of the how. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. So there it is. And I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I just love the simplicity of the Word of God. It's saying, cast off some stuff and put on some other stuff. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you, are, you have the kind of holiness that when God looks at you, He doesn't see your sin. He sees Christ's perfection, that kind of holiness for sure. But this kind of practicing holiness as a believer, you're supposed to cast off some stuff and to put on some other stuff. The things that it causes us, calls us to cast off, almost thinking of like taking off a dirty garment and throwing it to the side. Some specifics, it says revelry and drunkenness, lewdness and lust, and then a big old umbrella term, works of darkness. So if it falls underneath that category of works of darkness, take it off, cast it off to the side, and put something on instead. And the things that we're to put on instead are the armor of light. Pastor Ben, what does it mean to be clothing yourself in the armor of light? I have no clue, but that sounds awesome. To think that we could clothe ourselves in the armor of light. 
What a picture, what a mental picture that God's word gives us that, man, it's not even, it's not even, we can't even comprehend some of those things, but, but that we would be called to arm ourselves in some of those things. And also, if you look to verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. We're to put on the person of Jesus Christ. In a family of four, I'm responsible for like 80% of the laundry that happens in my family. And again, Abby will attest to all these things as being true. And, but I've got good explanation for that. I'm always outside working on something, whether it's a big old grease spot from working on the tractor or, you know, I'm, I'm digging something. I mean, I'm always out working on stuff. And, and, and sometimes, not sometimes, all the time when I come inside for lunch or whatever I'm doing, I'll come in and I'll wash my hands in the sink. And as I'm washing my hands... I always take note to make sure I look in the mirror to see what I have on me that I didn't notice while I was outside. And sometimes it is a big grease spot. Sometimes it's a big mud spot. Sometimes it's something that looks like mud, but it doesn't smell like mud. And, 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 I, and I have to look in that mirror to know what I've got on me and to know if I need to get rid of what I'm wearing and put something else on. And can I just tell you, dear friends, this morning that the same thing is true for believers, when we look in the Word of God, when we look into the mirror of the Word of God, it tells us what we look like. It allows us to see some things clearly, like if we can continue on wearing the thing that we're wearing, or if we need to take it off, cast it aside, and put on something else like armor of light or like the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope you know in that little illustration that the mirror is vital, it's pivotal. Do you know the kind of stuff I'd be wearing around in my house if I didn't have a mirror to look in to see what kind of nasty splotch of something is on me? Looking into the mirror of God's Word is vital. If you don't do it consistently, if you don't do it a lot, you're going to be walking around with some things that you didn't even know you had on you. If you look into the mirror, it will show you some of these things. Church of God, please be looking into that mirror, be looking into it to know if there's some things that you need to cast off and just replace it with some things to put on. Uh, this was the case for the church, I believe it was in Antioch, where believers were first called Christians. They took note of these things. They were digesting the Word of God in large portions, and some things were becoming very clear as they looked into the mirror of God's Word and said, you know, I need to, I need to shed this and I need to put Christ on in this to cover up, get rid of the thing that was on me before, the anger, the hate, the unforgiveness, the ungracefulness with my family, with my children. I need to get rid of those things and put something else on instead. They saw that and it showed big time. So much so that the non-believers around them called them Christianos, which is the Greek word for Christian. It literally means little Christ's. And they meant it to be a jeering kind of term for these believers. They intended to make it a word that they would use to make fun of believers. And we all know that that's the name that we now identify ourselves as, as these little Christs, as we put him on and get rid of the things that look like us and put on the things that look more like him. And I hope you're wondering, as I always hope you do, as you are really engaging with the word of God, is why is it that God would call his children to do this kind of thing? I mean, is God just so full of himself that he wants a bunch of people to look like him? Why, why does God call his people to strive after the holiness 
that he has, knowing good and well that we cannot in this earthly condition achieve the moral perfection that he achieves. There's the sin inside of us even in a redeemed state, like Paul said, Romans 7. There are, I think, thousands of reasons as to why we could say this is why God wants us to do this, why God wants us to be a church, to lovingly chain ourselves to this core value of of practicing this holiness through New Testament orders and ordinances. I think there are probably thousands. I'm going to give you just a couple. And the first of which being is that God knows our nature. He knows that even with a heart of flesh and no longer a heart of stone, even after he forgives us, that in this sin-cursed, temptation environment, he knows that we are not like him. That we have hearts that, like Paul said, even when I know what I want to do and what I don't want to do, there's this thing in me that draws me to do the thing that I don't want to do. And God knows that. Which is why I believe that just perhaps he would call us into this thing of continually as we walk forward in the future in this process of sanctification, which is the very churchy word that simply means look more like Jesus. As he continues to get us to look less like us and more like him, he knows that that's going to go in opposition of the way that our hearts tend to be tempted, as we already learned in Romans 7. Another reason I believe very strongly is for our own benefit for our own peace and our own joy. Psalm 1, verse 1, which was a text that we looked at yesterday in the men's prayer, it says, blessed, someone say blessed. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the paths of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Blessed is the man who's taken off some stuff. And happy is the man who's put on some other stuff. But his delight, says there in Psalm 1, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Putting on Jesus is where that guy found happiness. So not just because God knows our nature, not just because for our own benefit, but I think another reason that is very glaring in the word of God that we all ought to see of why God would call us as a people, as a church, to to bind ourselves to this mission of practicing and striving after this kind of holiness, shedding off the things that are ugly that look like us, and putting on the things that are clean and perfect that look like Jesus. It is for the salvation of others. Listen to what I mean in 1 Peter 2, verses 11 through 12. Beloved, I beg you, The word of God says, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Abstain from revelry, drunkenness, lewdness, and lust, works of darkness, just like it says over in Romans 13. I beg you to abstain from those things. I beg you to take the dirty thing that looks like you off. Take that off. Verse 12. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, which we know in the Word of God when it's referencing Gentiles in this way, it's referencing unbelievers. Walk properly, just like it's talking about there in Romans 13. You should walk, you should be, have conduct that's honorable among unbelievers. And then it gives us the reason as to why it would call us also in Romans 13, also in 1 Peter 2, why it would call us to take some things off and put some things on. That, or so that... When they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, by your striving after this holiness, they may observe and glorify God 
and the day of visitation. The reason that when Jesus comes back for the church that some people will be glorifying him. Even people that have formerly spoken evil of Christians because of the good works that they have surveyed among believers will be the reason that they're glorifying God on that day of visitation. So let the weight of this sink in just a little bit. And again, being very clear to understand that you cannot, you can absolutely not at all work your way to please God. You can't. But in God's sovereignty, his redeemed children that he has called to take off the things that look like them and to put on the things that look like him. In God's sovereignty, God has made it such that when his children, when his church does that, that some will be convicted. God will work through that so that they will be convicted and they will come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and their soul will be saved from hell and eternity. So have we looked in the mirror, I wonder? Have we seen the weight of what our lives reflect means when we've looked in the mirror? Have we looked in it enough to know that, man, just maybe me living this, seeing this, digesting large portions of it so that I really can see the mirror clear to know what I need to take off and what I need to put on, that doing that could absolutely mean the difference in eternity for those around us. And holiness is a word that's kind of lost today, of practicing holiness. This being chained to this holiness through New Testament orders and ordinances. I hope we see it, and I hope we see it clearly. I hope we have some understanding now as to why of some of these things. Because if Jesus is holy, which he is, and he calls us to be holy like him, which he does, and we know that we will not achieve this holy perfection, which is what his word teaches us about ourselves, in what manner then are we supposed to practice this kind of holiness? First, with an understanding of the timeliness, that we must do this now. There are those that are dying and going to hell because the church looks like the world. And that's a crying shame. So that's the timing. Then in what way are we supposed to? We're supposed to cast off some things, some worldliness. And we're supposed to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, be clothed with this armor of light, to be this Christanos, this little Christ's. And forgetting not just a couple of the reasons that we mentioned this morning, that because God knows our heart for the sake of our own joy and particularly for the salvation of others. So if the Holy Spirit of God has enlightened his word to you this morning, say amen. We're going to shift gears now as we prepare for communion. Uh, so Brian and whoever else will be up here, I'll invite you to come up here as well. For those of you that are going to be helping with communion, I'd like for you to prepare. I'm going to pray, and as I'm praying, the gentleman that will be helping dispense of these elements can begin while I pray, and as soon as I'm finished praying, they can begin to pass them out. But there is one thing that is vital that I say first before we dispense these, is that the Lord's Supper, taking this bread and this juice and, and this communion that we're about to take together, it is vital that you know that this is for believers only. If you are not a believer, please just pass the plate to the person next to you and do not take anything from the inside of these plates. I'll give you an explanation as for that in a moment. But right now, let us all prepare our hearts 
as we have already seen some of the reasons for these practicing of holiness through New Testament orders, which we have seen, what about the ordinances? We'll explain them as we go along, but first let's pray. Father in heaven, Father, if there is a way in us that is wrong, shine a light on it, I pray. Father, let not the love of sin, even in this redeemed state, Father, give us, we need you, we need you to help us overcome that will, to do the thing that we even want to do, and to say no to the thing that we already don't want to do because of the redeemed heart that you have placed in us. So, Father, if there's a way in us, individually or as a church, that has, mis- that has not pleased you, Father, guide our hearts now in repentance as we prepare for this time of, of this ordinance that you gave us, this practice that you did that you told us to do also. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Gentlemen, if you would come. And we could begin ministering with music. While they're distributing these things, already with the understanding that this is for believers only, I'd like to explain to us as to why so that we can see it clearly together. Because after all, it's just bread with a little juice in a cup, right? Why is this only for believers? It's only for believers because in 1 Corinthians 11, 27 through 32, it says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. If an unbeliever were to take this flippantly, or if a believer were to take this in a flippant kind of way, without having first examined themselves, to ask the Lord to shine a light on any sin that we might have overlooked, a presumptuous sin, This is something we, may, we cannot be guilty of. Verse 29, For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, the Word of God says, many are weak and sick among you, among you and many sleep. What God was using the Apostle Paul to tell the church in Corinth was there are some of you, because you have taken this flippantly, because you've taken it in an unworthy manner, you've not done the due diligence to remember what these things represent, that there are some in the church who are weak, some who are sick, and some who are dead. And I would hate to think that that would be in the church today, that there would be people weak, people sick, or people even dead because we have not taken this seriously. 
because we have been flippant. We have not in a worthy manner, in an unworthy manner, we've taken of these things. So as Christians, we know that when we take communion together like this, that the bread represents His body. That the juice represents His blood. So I hope you've seen clearly from the Word of God why it is that He calls us to strive after the holiness that He has, that He's calling us into. And I hope you see the mechanics of that. But the reason we want to be a church practicing holiness through New Testament orders and ordinances is for the reason that when Jesus administered this on the night that He was betrayed, the thing that He said to His disciples was, do this in remembrance of me. Don't forget me. As you live this Christian life, don't forget me. He implied that we were prone to forget. So every time that you take of this together, don't forget what He's done. Don't forget His body that was crucified. Don't forget His blood that was spilled for us. So practicing holiness is much more than just our will and our prayer and putting off some things and putting on some things. It's also remembering. That's why we did baptisms last week. That's why we'll do more next week. Because we're remembering His death under the water. We're remembering His resurrection up from the water. We're remembering our old man never to come alive again, but the new person in Christ being set free of the power of the Savior. We remember these through these ordinances. So on the very first top layer of this, you'll see a clear piece of plastic that you can now peel back, and it will reveal the bread. Please hold that in your hand securely, and then I invite you to peel back the next layer, which then reveals the juice, the cup. And we hold these things in our hands. Remembering His body. Remembering His blood. In Matthew 26, And as they were eating, Jesus took the bread. He blessed and broke it. And He gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is My body. Father in heaven, that we might not forget, that we might not forget what your body endured, that ours might not. Let us not take this flippantly, but with an overwhelming thanksgiving that the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, took my place on a bloody cross that I might be forgiven. Let's partake of the bread together, church. In verse 27 of Matthew 26, then he took the cup and he gave thanks and he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, 
which is shed for many for the remission of sins. If it wasn't, dear friend, listen to me now, if it wasn't for what this cup represents, there would be no remission of sins, no forgiveness. So he says, take this cup and do it in remembrance of me that I and I alone am the reason that your sins are washed. Jesus, make us mindful of this cup. Let it not flee from our minds that if it were not for you, if it were not for you having spilled your blood, there would be no escape from sin. But because of what you've done, because of what you have been victorious in, because you shed your blood, we can stand before you forgiven and clothed in the righteousness of another. Thank you, Jesus. Where would we be without what this cup represents? Let's partake of the cup together, church. You can set those cups on the floor underneath the chair in front of you. Would you stand with me as we pray? With heads bowed and eyes closed. Perhaps you've never heard this gospel. You've never heard this good news of a way to be redeemed of your sin. If you would say, preacher, I want you to pray for me. I want to know this, Jesus. I want to know how to be freed from this sin. I want to stand right before God. Should there be anyone here, I just want you to raise your hand up high and unashamed wherever you are. person that raised your hand, you need to know that God loves you, that it is by God's grace that you are here today to hear this gospel preached, and to understand what it is that God has done for you to forgive and to redeem you. He loves you, and He's calling you. He's calling you to turn from sin and to trust alone in Him to be your righteousness. If you do that this morning, dear friend, you are forgiven. And you are washed of your sin. Somebody say amen. Father in heaven, we love you. We love what you've done. We love the redemption that you have bought. We stand here humbled and in awe. Guide us in this practice of holiness. Thank you for the holiness that we could not practice, that we could not purchase, that you did for us. What a gift. Make us steadfast in this, Lord. Chain us with a loving chain to be a church practicing holiness through New Testament orders and ordinances. That there would be those around us that would then glorify you on that day. We love you for all these things in Jesus' name. And all the church says, let us sing together. If you need prayer for anything, please come up to the front. I'll be here. I love you all so much.